beginning in verse 14, the Apostle Paul writes, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to instruct one another. But on some points, I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace of God given to you by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ.
says, if you're looking still in your Bibles, this, this desire that the gospel would be known where it hasn't yet been known, to preach the gospel where it's not being preached, to establish churches in those places, this desire is the reason that I have so often been hindered from coming to you. And he reemphasizes what we've just seen, and he wants to invite them to partner for the future. And he says, since then I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I've longed for many years to come, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once, once I've enjoyed your company for a while. And you get this sort of moment, like, great, Paul is telling the Romans he's coming for a visit. I don't have any work, Let's, I'm going to go on to Spain, but I'm coming to visit you. And with all the talk about mission and going to Spain, we see this heart of aspiration in Paul, that he wants to continue on. Because Paul realizes that the mission of the church is wrapped up in continuing the mission of Jesus Christ, that the good news of reconciliation to God through what he's done on the cross would be available to all people, especially in places where it's not being proclaimed. That is the heart of the church's mission. That is the heart of any church that has joined the mission of Christ. But with all that talk about mission and going to Spain and the next strategy, you would think that Paul is singularly focused on that, wouldn't you? You would think Paul is just, you know, people would probably talk about Paul this way. You know, all Paul talks about is going to the next place. All Paul cares about is the next church plant, the next act of mission, about sending people, about reaching people aren't there. You know, what, does he care about anything else? Paul's singularly focused on that, except that actually Paul recognizes that the church doesn't just exist for mission. It exists to model the gospel as well. Not only do we exist to continue the mission, but actually we exist and we can only continue the mission as we model the gospel in our own community right here among us. And, and so Paul actually wants to help all these churches he started model the love of the gospel in their lives in a way that he's not just sort of false advertising something. You know, mission in the Christian context can turn into false advertising when we don't model the, the mission together right here. When we don't model the promise and hope of the gospel, the transformation of the gospel, learning to love one another, to serve one another the way that Christ has served us, when we don't welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us, we begin to lose out on the power that we're proclaiming so in verses 25 through 29, we see a second thing. Paul says the church isn't just about continuing the mission. We see a second thing, that the calling of the church exists, we, we exist to create a model of community. And that model of community matters deeply to a mission-oriented church. You see, what happens in our lives together as people who are walking with Christ day in and day out here as Pillar Church of Dumfries, matters deeply to our ability to be a part of the mission that God has called us to. The way you and I learn to love one another, the way that we are willing to serve one another, the, the degree to which we're willing to sacrifice for one another, actually is the degree to which we find strength, encouragement, and power to be able to proclaim the gospel where it's not being preached. 
So Paul, who seems to be all about mission in his life and has a passion, even now as he's writing to Rome, he's like, he's not just like, finally I'll get there and just hang out with you. He's like, no, I'm actually going to Spain beyond you, but I'm going to stay for a while. Paul, who's like that, though, he says something in verses 25 through 29 that I find surprising. Paul is not dropping what he is doing and headed to Spain. He's actually going in the opposite, Jerusalem, opposite direction, and he's headed to Jerusalem. Look at verse 25. Verse 25, he says, at present, however, you hear kind of the like, okay, I set you up. You know, the sort of the negative part here. There's sort of a, there's sort of a negative shift here. He's like, I'm finally coming to see you. But not yet. <laughs> at present, I have another task. Another task that is every bit as important. Yeah, it's not, it's not going to start a new church. It's not going to go to a place that is beyond where we've currently reached. But it's another really important task. And, and, and we, we see that he explains to the church that he must go to Jerusalem before continuing his mission through them to Spain. Now why does he do that? The commitment of Paul was not only to continue the mission, but also to help the churches that he had started model a sense of Christian community with one another that he's been teaching all throughout the book of Romans. How is he doing that here? How do we see him modeling Christian love and community among the churches? Well, the answer can be seen here in verses 25 through 29, but before I help us look at them closely, let's remember what Paul has been saying all throughout the book of Romans. You know, we're coming to the end of our study and Paul's wrapping things up and he's driving things home. And all throughout this letter, particularly as we got into the practical parts in, in chapter 12, he's shown us that the gospel is worthy of our wholehearted devotion. He, 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 said, he said, you know, by the mercies of God, I implore you to live your lives as a living sacrifice. That you would lay down your lives. And he then tells us that laying down our lives looks at like practically learning to love one another. And he goes on from that and he says that, that God has, through the gospel, taken two people who never thought of themselves as belonging to one another, the Jews and the Gentiles, and he's now made them one family in Christ. And he says, if you're going to really live out the implications of the gospel, the picture that the gospel has, has saved you for, then you are going to learn to love one another across all of these differences. And, he sa and so he says that this, this is a, a family identity. That sense of family unites us in ways that are greater than our identity as citizens of a nation, he says. In, in Romans 13, he shows us that we can respect the government, but, he's, but God has made us to draw together as a family that transcends the, the nation to which we belong, quote unquote. And that that is a higher calling that we have to love one another. Because we are family in Christ, not just whom Paul is teaching, but us, because we are family in Christ. We love one another despite our differences and our disagreements, and we create a sense of welcome for one another in the gospel in the same way that Christ has welcomed us to the glory of God. In Paul's context, it meant that Roman Christians and Jewish Christians needed to learn to love one another and not just tolerate their differences, but celebrate and embrace them so that they could live in harmony like we talked about last week. And here, in this passage, what is happening is Paul is showing that he does not just give lip service to that truth of who they are together as a family in the gospel, but he's willing to sacrifice himself 
and his ambitions to display it and help them fulfill it. How does he do that? Well, let me show you now in verses 25 through 29. Paul's got this big vision. We're a family. God's called us to demonstrate the love of Christ in practical ways to one another. Verse 25, he says, uh, he shows us. Now, while Paul has been planting and strengthening these churches among the Gentiles, that's where he's been working in Asia Minor and Macedonia. He's been planting and strengthening churches. He's also been collecting an offering from those Gentile Christians to support suffering Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. There's been a famine during this time in Jerusalem. There are many Christians who lack the social support because of their desire to follow Christ. They're living in Jerusalem. And Paul has been traveling throughout. As these Gentiles are hearing the gospel, he's saying, we need to be concerned about those other Christians in Jerusalem. And he's been collecting an offering. And he wants to show this familial identity, Jew, Gentile, together in the gospel by bringing this offering back to these Jerusalem Christians, these Jewish Christians from the Gentiles. And, and so in verse 26, the aid that has been collected from the Gentile churches in Macedonia and Achaia, he says, before I can come to you in Rome, i got to go deliver this. And then in verse 27, he says that it models the truth he's been saying all along, that the Jews and Gentiles are called to be a mutual blessing to one another, and he cares about that. If the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings because of the Jewish people and the Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ, they ought also to be of service to the Jewish Christians in material blessings. They ought to do something to show their love and appreciation. Now, how much did Paul care about that picture being created? This is the question he answers here. Paul's saying two things. He says the church exists to continue the mission of Christ, and to model a sense of gospel community. And he loves both of those things deeply. How willing is he to be an example to model a sense of community that he's been preaching? Well, at the cost of his own, own life is, is the answer. How much did he care about that? Enough that he says he's going to Jerusalem with considerable danger to his life. We see that as he asks for prayers in verse 30 through 33. Particularly that he would be delivered from the unbelievers there. Now here, here's the background. Paul cares so much about the gospel being modeled through their sense of community together in Christ that he's willing to risk his life to fulfill this part of the mission. The mission of love. You see, we know from the book of Acts that Paul has been given word by a prophetic vision that chains await him in Jerusalem. From the book of Acts, we know that as he's carrying that, this offering back, that everywhere he goes, there are Christians that are warning him not to go because chains and suffering await him there. In fact, a very prayerful Christian ha has said, you know, the Lord is impressed deeply on my heart, Paul, that if you go to Jerusalem, you will leave in chains. And yet Paul says... I've got a mission to demonstrate the community of the gospel by bringing this offering from the Gentiles to these suffering Jewish Christians, and I'm going anyway. That's cost. That's commitment. And he would go there, and he would leave in chains. In fact, what we know is Paul never carries himself to Rome. He's carried there as a prisoner. A wrongfully accused prisoner? 
He gets to Rome as a prisoner because he was willing to go demonstrate the love of these Gentile Christians for the Jewish Christians with this offering. Now, I don't think you can find in all of Scripture a person more passionate about the expanding mission of the gospel than the Apostle Paul. But right here, you show, he shows us you can't also find a Christian more passionate about demonstrating the love of Christ to the churches that exist. You see, he believes both of those things matter. And for us, both of those things matter. You see, continuing the mission of the gospel and creating a model of community through the gospel can't be separated. Just like Paul could not separate the task of continuing the mission from creating a model of gospel unity among the Jewish and Gentile churches, in the same manner, we must care deeply about continuing the mission and creating a model of Christian love among us. Can I just be candid for a moment? I mean, I need at least one yes. All right. Thank you. In some manner, Paul is writing this because he cares about the Christians in in the church at Rome. And he knows some of them are so disappointed that he hasn't visited yet. This is his effort to show that what he has been up to has been rooted in good aspirations. And in many ways, I just want to acknowledge that I know along the way, as we've pursued this mission of the Praetorian Project and the church planning vision that God has given us at at Pillar, I know that along the way, we haven't as a church always lived up to the aspirations that we share here with the Apostle Paul. You know, there's been times that we've, we desire to, and we aspire to be used in the continued mission, and we desire and we aspire to be a people of love. And in those greatest aspirations, because of our own limitations and weaknesses and circumstances as a body, we're in a crazy, transient community. We are all people who are in the process of maturity. Sometimes it means that those, there are those among us who don't feel cared for. And that's not our desire. And even every time, every time I think about talking about the mission of expanding the gospel that God has called us to, I feel this sensitivity in my heart and this sort of pain in my heart for those that that are in our body who I know are suffering under their own difficulties and circumstances, who are struggling under their own immaturity and who need attention and growth and all of that. And, and, I, and I'm tempted to flip-flop back and forth and be like, no, we're going to be a church that's really focused on the mission. And I'm like, no, we're going to be a community of gospel love right here. And, that just, and sometimes you feel pulled in both these directions. And like the Apostle Paul, we just have to recognize we're called to both of these things. And we're not, we're not great at any of them. Listen, we talk about this stuff. We, we do it because it's our aspiration. It's a God-given biblical aspiration that we would press in to both of these callings with all of our heart. We don't talk about it because we believe we're great at it. And it can't be done by a leader, right? Or a few. The degree to which we fall short in any of this is the responsibility of all of us to grow in the grace of God as we learn to love one another and as we become passionate about the mission that God has given us together. I think that what I would like all of us to understand this morning is that as we pursue the mission of the church, we must aspire to fulfill both sides of this high calling together. Until the work is done, let's not stop building the mission beyond ourselves and building the community here at Pillar that can cause everyone to flourish in the love of the gospel. We have an incredible opportunity and I wanted to say that because even though we have not always lived up to this high calling as a church, and we've fallen short in many ways. 
I think, like Paul here, we have much to celebrate about what God has done. I mean, that video, uh, it's just, when, when I see that, it's easy, we've been, for, for some of us who've been around here for a while, it's easy for us to just be like, yeah, yeah, we do that. But if you've been around here long enough, you're sort of still in shock that we've done anything good. That there's been anything fruitful or effective. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's awe-inspiring what God can do and how he can use people who will just, you know, right now you might be like, man, there's things I think God's calling me to do. There's ways God's calling me to love that I'm not sure if I'm up to the task. And, and I would just say aspire to it and devote yourselves. And you'll be amazing what he can do in a few years. In a decade, like Paul, as a church, we can be proud of the work that God has allowed us to be a part of and give him glory this morning. And I just want to talk about that before we wrap up. You know, at Pillar, we've made it our aim to fulfill this same calling. The Praetorian Project was born out of this same impulse we see here in the text. It's not just a missionary strategy, it's a care strategy. There's a moment in the video we saw earlier where Clint and I are trying to explain the ideas that gave birth to this vision over a decade ago. We saw that our context in a military community here in Dumfries allowed us a unique opportunity to continue the mission through the natural movements of the military. People were moving, they were going, and we could send them. We could harness that movement to see the gospel spread and reach people that we could never touch. But we also saw a second thing. The opportunity to meet a need for genuine Christian community that can be difficult to experience for service members and their families as they go from church to church to church to church at their different duty stations. And we thought if we could just do something to take some of that change away, where there would be some people who were ready to receive people, maybe in their difficult trials, their difficult circumstances, they would find themselves in a community of love that could sustain them, that could help them be sustained, strengthened, and equipped for all that God has for them. And out of that desire, the Praetorian Project was born. Here's what it looks like to embrace the mission as a transient military community. And here's what it looks like to try and build a sense of relationship and love in a transient military community. And when we began this specific mission over 10 years ago, it was just an idea. <laughs> It was just an idea. Let's try and care for military service members and their families and plant churches where they're going next, where we continue to work together and serve them. On a Sunday like this one, we announced a bold campaign called the Praetorian Project for the first time publicly to a room of 40 or 50 people in a building that we shared with a tire shop on 234 right next to the McDonald's. We didn't have any money. Like, I think at that day, we maybe had $10,000 in our church's collective bank account. We had 50 people and a vision, an aspiration to be a community that demonstrated genuine gospel love and wanted to give that as a gift to places that weren't experiencing it. And... We were going to plant four churches, we said that day, no matter how long it took. And I think we, sort, we, we talked like, this will take us 20 years to plant these four churches in the places that would position us to serve 80% of the Marine Corps. And we wanted to 
to, to plant churches that were trying to model this genuine sense of Christian community and would continue the mission of planting churches in the places they're needed most. We genuinely believed at that time it may take us the rest of our life or careers to see this happen, but God has seen fit to produce from that commitment that day from some faith-filled believers in that church building nine more churches since then. Yeah, it's worth celebrating. That's the tepid version of excitement, and I get it. We're Baptists. That's as excited, excited as we get. But listen, in all four of those regions that we aimed at, there's not just one work, but additional church planning work being done. We've gone from one to four churches in the D.C. area since that day. This year we'll have three churches in eastern North Carolina. We have three churches currently in Southern California, and even in Okinawa, we haven't only seen a church planted, but the beginning of a Japanese-speaking church that will launch over the next year as well. The fruitfulness of these churches have not only extended the mission of the gospel to places of, of great need, they've provided a place of growth and refuge for military personnel and their families to be able to seek the Lord and grow in the Lord and weather challenges and countless transitions. I think of families like Scott and Katie Groves. When they arrived in Jacksonville several years ago, they found a church at Pillar Jacks that helped them grow in their faith and mature and learn to serve others. When Scott was commissioned as an officer and they had to move their family here to Quantico to go through the basic school, they were also met with a particularly difficult trial as they joined us. Through the grace of God and the kindness of members here at Pillar, they walked through a season of caring for their young daughter as she had a cancerous tumor removed and went through treatments. And they did it here in a community they, they had never lived, strengthened by the love of people that had never met them. When they left Quantico, encouraged, <laughs> strengthened, and were assigned back to Jacksonville. Their faith had been strengthened. They continued to serve the church there. Scott became an elder and had served the church while serving as a Marine. And recently answered the call to get out of the Marine Corps to plant Pillar Church of Havelock near Cherry Point. So that others will have the same hope that they experienced. This is what we've been building. It's, it's worth our effort and sacrifice to see that the work continues to thrive into the future. A community that models the gospel and continues the mission. And it's not just been about planting churches in military communities. It's been about reaching people with the gospel. In the same time frame, we've planted IBGE, the Spanish-speaking congregation that meets right here in our building. We've planted two Amharic Ethiopian uh, churches. We've seen Lofstoven in Reykjavik, Iceland planted. Loving Grace Church in Bali come to life. And all of this work has been a labor of love of this church and its people. Time after time, <laughs> time after time when I've stood up here and called the people of this church, the past people who made up this church, because we're so transient, 80% of the people that we've called to this mission aren't with us here this morning. And time after time, people have responded with, with joy and sacrifice and giving to be able to see these kind of works happening, and they've responded with faith to trust what God was doing. Let's never lose sight of the progress of the gospel in our lives and trust the grace of God to fill up anything that's been lacking. You see, I'm still excited about the future of the Praetorian Project, the mission of this church. And like Paul, desire to press on to Spain, 
beyond where we've been. I want us to press on to see the gospel spread to the ends of the earth as we say yes to Jesus today. We've laid out a vision that will establish the Praetorian Project as a global missions platform by rooting us in the five largest military communities in the United States. You saw the three remaining communities that we want to be in. Central Texas, the Tidewater area of Virginia, Norfolk, and, and Seattle, Northwest Washington. We desire to see churches multiplied in those places because they're the three largest military communities left in the United States where we don't have multiplying churches. But we desire to see that happen, not just so that we can reach people there, but because from the strength of the military community, we believe that we can reach the globe with the gospel of Jesus. That we can look to the future where we would plant churches near bases in Europe and see them reach people in the broader culture in which they exist, similar to the way Okinawa has done, that we would give ourselves to be a, a missions-sending people who not only model the community of the gospel, but want to continue and finish the mission that God has given us. Just imagine it. A day we have multiplying churches in D.C., Eastern North Carolina, South, Southern California, Norfolk, Virginia, San Antonio, Texas, and Seattle. Imagine being able to take that strength and, and position church plants in military contexts throughout the world in harder to reach places that can reach local populations with the gospel. And just like in Okinawa where we're seeing a military church plant reach into the broader community, the sky is the limit. If we can stay connected and pool our resources for global mission together. So let me tell you, as we close, what we're going to do, our church, in this effort, as we try and see all of this become a reality. Over the next year, we're going to bring on an additional pastor here at Pillar to help us care for and equip this congregation to love one another, to work together to build the strongest church we can right here in Dumfries. And by December, I hope to be able to announce a candidate for the position and, and get us ready to, uh, to see that pastor come on staff. We've assigned our new elder, Brian Musler, to be our elder for congregational care. He's already working on helping us strategize ways we can strengthen our effort to love and care for one another here and be a model community of the gospel. We desire for that to be the case. We're going to send out Carrie and Arian Julian with a team to plant Pillar Church of Norfolk and contribute to the current strategy of the Praetorian Project. And recently we believe we've identified a church planning partner for Carrie and are looking forward to helping them launch next fall there in the Tidewater area of Virginia. We want you to be a part of it. We're going to send out Alex and Kate Chapman along with several others uh, from our Pillar family right here. Uh, to plant Pillar Church of Crestview, Florida, to plant near Eglin Air Force Base and fulfill the God calling that God has placed on their lives. We're going to help Amin and Sapita establish a work here in D.C. area to reach Persians with the gospel of Jesus and prepare workers for the day when there are open doors for the gospel among Persians, not only here, but in their home country. And we're going to continue to do it as a community of people devoted to one another, living faith-filled lives, but maybe God's calling you to consider today how you can be a part of that. Maybe you're wondering, what, do I, what does that mean for me? Well, three things, and then I'm going to pray. The first one is this, that you would help us make this congregation a devoted people who genuinely love one another. The cares that you take care of day to day in one another's lives strengthen the mission of this church. 
They make it possible for us to embody the love of Jesus. And we need to care for one another. So that's the first thing you can do. Just be, be a church that loves one another. The second thing that you can do is that you can support the works that we're talking about. That you can pray regularly for the Praetorian Project. That you would think about what it looks like for maybe you to join one of these teams. To contribute to one of these teams. To give financially to one of these teams. Between... Uh, now and the day of the Army-Navy game, we're doing a fundraiser for the Praetorian Project where you can give and tag it with your service branch. And uh, as we raise those funds, uh, we're going to be able to put them to this work that we're talking about. But I, I just got to imagine there might be some of you here today that God would call you to participate by being a leader in the future of this work. That you would say, you know what? I want to devote my life, time, and energy, like so many of the stories of the guys we saw in the video, to being one of the church planters that plants one of these Praetorian Project churches. And you may think, I don't know if I could ever do that. But right here today, I want to tell you there was a whole church of people 11 years ago who didn't think they could do any of this. And God has continued to equip and strengthen us for the task ahead. Would you bow your heads with me as we go into a time of prayer? Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the gift of your care and your grace that has called us. We thank you for making us a part of your mission. We pray that as we continue to lean into it, Lord, that you would equip us for that task. Lord, that you would be honored through our effort. And Lord, that you would use us beyond what we could imagine. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. In a moment, we're going to share in the Lord's Supper, and as we